Let me pray again briefly. Prayer's a good thing. Uh, yeah, and, uh, and let's jump in. Father, we do submit ourselves to You. Father, we come before You humbly this morning and we recognize that You're God and we're not. Jesus is our Savior because we need a Savior. And Lord, also just that it's Your Spirit that makes truth real to us. You speak to us by Your Spirit. We ask You to do that this morning as we look in Your Word, Lord. Would each one of us leave having heard something from You to us, Lord? Would You make it personal and real? In Jesus' name, Amen. Those inserts in your bulletin that talk about small group opportunities are important. Uh, part of the culture, part of the DNA of this church, and it should be true of any church, is that we believe it's really imperative that people be plugged in relationally with each other in the church. And that if you're not, if you don't meet regularly with a group of Christians, usually that's going to occur within the church you go to regularly you will not grow the way God means you to. You cannot grow the way God means you to if you're not relationally plugged in with others. And the way we do that generally is we say we've got home groups. And you've got a number of options of those on your insert. We've also got a number of sort of educational groups where we're going to come together and we're going to study a particular thing like love and respect or Bible survey class or Song of Songs. And there's some others as well. And even though those are short-term you know, it's sort of a fixed period. You, you start, you go through it, and you end. You'll still be hanging out with other Christians, and that's a really important thing. Uh, we need to be plugged into each other's lives. If we're not, we're simply not growing, and we're not contributing into the lives of other people the way God means us to. So it's imperative that you be plugged in intentionally with other Christians in the body of Christ. If Lion and Lamb is your church home, we hope you're doing that here. Also, let me just say on the very front end, related to the other insert, uh, my goal this morning in this teaching, and we're, we're not in the On the Road series, we're taking a week off from that. My goal in the teaching this morning is to talk about serving with excellence. And my hope is that if you're currently serving in Lion and Lamb Church, and you're doing all that you think God's called you to, that you feel a sense of affirmation there. I'm on course, I'm on cue. If you're serving lion and lamb and you feel like I'm a little shaky, I'm not sure that I'm getting it or, or, or giving my best, then I hope you feel some conviction and can go home with some questions to say, how does God want me to change what I'm doing? If lion and lamb is your church home and you're not serving, I pray you go away thinking, Lord, where do you want me serving? How do you want me serving? As imperative as it is that we plug in relationally with other believers to grow, I can tell you just, just point blank, bluntly, if you don't have a method in your life to intentionally serve other Christians, you're disobedient. You're failing the mark because we've got all these passages in the New Testament that tell us as Christians we're called to serve each other. And in fact, our Savior is a servant Savior. So as Christians, it is impossible for us to be the people God means us to be or to be the body of Christ to each other or the world if we're not committed to intentionally plugging in relationally with others and serving. And so we're talking about serving this morning. I want to start in Acts 6, 1 through 6. You can turn there if you've got a Bible with you this morning. Acts 6, verses 1 through 6. You know, in the, in the story, in the narrative of the early church, <clears throat> Acts 6 is important. We meet a really key character here, Stephen. He's the first martyr of the Christian church. 
we also see this uh, challenge, this acute need that the early church faced and how they went about meeting it. In fact, most people assume this is the first group of deacons we see in a local church here in Jerusalem in Acts chapter 6. So, a need's presented in the early church and we see how they went about filling that need. Acts 6, 1 through 6. At this time, while the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint arose on the part of the Hellenistic Jews against the native Hebrews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily serving of food. And with that one verse, sorry, let me stop just briefly. You remember, this is still in the very early days of the church. And if you go back to chapters 4 and 5, we learn that because there was so much going on in Jerusalem, Jewish pilgrims from around the Roman world were coming to Jerusalem and they were staying. You know, the Holy Spirit had come down on Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, and people were staying far longer than they'd intended to. This Palestine, Jerusalem, wasn't their home. And so they run out of money, and so they've got all these new Christians who aren't from Jerusalem. They don't have family and friends around. What are they going to do? And so in chapter 4 and 5, you see people like Barnabas selling their property so that the church was meeting the needs of all these folks that are there. Well, part of that need you see here in chapter 6. Now, you know, in this, this epoch, this time when this story was occurring, the Jews didn't live just in the land of promise, in Palestine, there in Israel today. They were scattered throughout the Roman world. And so many of these folks that were coming, they only spoke Greek. They didn't speak Hebrew or Aramaic. So they stuck out like a sore thumb. And so even though they were Jews like the rest of the Hebrew-speaking Jews, there was a, not an ethnic, but a cultural divide between them. And so the early church had taken it on to feed these widows, these Greek and Hebrew-speaking widows, and probably through no intentional fault of anyone's, the Greek-speaking widows were being shortchanged. And so this complaint came to the apostles, and that's the setting of what's going on here. So the twelve summoned the congregation of the disciples and said, it's not desirable for us to neglect the Word of God in order to serve tables. The apostles say, our plate's pretty full already, so we're not going to be able to meet this need. We're going to have to get someone else to. Therefore, brothers, select from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom we may put in charge of this task. We will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. The statement found approval with the whole congregation, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch. And these they brought before the apostles, and after praying, they laid their hands on them. Now, a couple different aspects of this story. Uh, the need here is for a very vulnerable group. It's, it's for a group of old ladies. And you know, if you were an old woman, a widow, in this time, you might have a trouble, you might have a tough time making ends meet. Uh, children and the elderly were the most vulnerable in that culture, just like they are today. And you know, it's easy to overlook those groups oftentimes. And so this is a, it's a small group of Greek-speaking widows, easy to overlook. But here comes the call, hey, we've got an issue, we need to be resolved, we need some help here. And the apostles come up and they say, we're not going to be able to do that. And it's not that waiting tables isn't important, because they're very conscientious in how they meet the need. 
But they say, we're not going to be able to do that. There's a real need. We're, we're not going to be able to do it. We need to get someone that can. And look at the, how they go about this. And this is what I love. It'd be a group that would be easy to say they're not that important. It's a group of old ladies. I mean, come on. But look how serious they take it and look at the way they solve this dilemma. There in verse 3, they say, we want you to choose seven men. Now, seven in the Bible is sort of a number of completeness. But for these guys, it's a plural number that says there will be a team of men committed to this need. It won't be one or two people where somebody might fall through the cracks. There's going to be seven men that are going to oversee this work, this need. Seven men, plenty of help. And these guys aren't going to be just uh, so-sos in the church. These aren't, aren't going to be new Christians. They are going to be of good reputation. So for these gals, they're saying, we want you to choose men you know and trust. These are tried men. They have a good reputation. They're known by all. We want you to choose seven of these men with good reputation. And not only that, but they're full of the Spirit and of wisdom. In other words, when you see the apostles moving to meet the need of just some gals that need a happy meal, it's just a meal. We need a little bit of food over here. They assign seven of their very best men. They don't take it lightly. They're putting their best foot forward. They're going to make sure these gals are taken care of. We were in a meeting, a leader meeting, uh, probably two months ago. And we were talking about one area of church life and then another. And we realized that for all our desire that we serve the church with excellence, we were actually falling down in one area after another, in little ways and sometimes not so little ways. And that was a recurring theme. And we said we really need to be able to address this because we want to emulate the apostles and this first group of deacons here in Acts 6. When there's a need or when we're in the, in the process of serving each other, we want to make sure that we're giving it our best, that we're serving each other with excellence. That's what came out of that meeting. And that's the call really this morning. We simply want to say we want to raise the standard. I'm speaking, by the way, on behalf of the leadership group here this morning. You know how that works in a leadership group when someone has an idea and they're the one talking about it. They're the one who get to do it. You know, it's not that anyone steps forward or back. It's just Bart talked the most. That's Bart's job. And Somehow I ended up with this short stick this time. But we want to say, we want to be very intentional as a church about raising the standard to say, in the arenas of which we serve each other, we want to be very intentional and we want to focus on excellence. We don't want to do something poorly. We've had sort of a motto in the past, if we can't do something as a church well, we don't want to do it. And that's not a nose in the air, that's not a pride issue. It's just to say, if we take it on to serve others, we really want to do it well. We want to give our very best. And so that's what we're talking about and why we're talking about that this morning. Uh, in February of this year, I taught a short series, only four weeks, uh, called Life as Worship. And I've never taught a series that had as much response as I did on this one. Four weeks on Life as Worship. Never had any series that I've had more feedback on. Basically saying that was helpful, that was challenging, that was encouraging, that spoke to issues in my life today. In that group of four, I've never had, I think, on any teaching more response than I did on work as worship. Work as worship. It, it obviously struck a nerve in this church. 
sort of the big picture of that series was this, that biblically worship and the thought or the image we should have in worship is that we bow down physically, we prostrate ourselves before God. That was the biblical image, that when we worship, we bow before our greater. And so the thought with that is, when I bow down before God, I am saying, you're God, I'm not. You're the superior, I'm the inferior. I owe you my life. My life is yours. Everything that I am, everything that I have, all my words, they all ultimately belong to you. And because that's the case, all of our life is meant to be worship. In fact, we said, and I remember getting a lot of, of uh, looks of understanding that if we don't live life with that mentality, that every moment of every day is worship to God, we're actually idolaters, aren't we? Because it means we're living for something or someone less than God. We're offering our life to someone or something less than God. So all of life is worship. Because that's the case, the way we serve each other is not just service to each other. It's also worship to God. The way I serve you, the way you serve someone else, the way we as a church serve each other is not just about us on a horizontal plane. It's also about our relationship with God because that service is in fact worship. The way we serve each other is worship. So if we want to worship well, we need to serve with excellence. If we want to worship well, we've got to serve, and we need to serve with excellence. So are we worshiping God? Are we bringing that mentality when we're serving each other? Are we giving our best? Again, if you've got your Bible, uh, Malachi 1, uh, we'll be here just briefly. Acts 6 is a great text about saying when the church engages to serve and, and serve the least among us, the most vulnerable, Acts 6 is a great template to go to. You give your best. You offer your best to meet the need. Malachi 1 is a text to go to about how not to serve and how not to worship. I'll let you read these verses on your own. It's verses 6 through 14, but they go something like this. Malachi is the last book in the Old Testament. It's about 400 B.C. And the Jews had come back from Babylonian captivity in the 500s. They'd rebuilt the city of Jerusalem and the temple. And so this is a great thing. So they're back where God's promised to be with them. The temple's up. And the priesthood is back there every day sacrificing animals up to God. And everything should be copacetic. We should be good. This was great. But it's not. And God calls His people to account on one point after another. And He tells the priest basically this. He says, guys, listen. If this is your view of worship, just close my temple doors and go away and don't come back. Because I don't want your version of worship. And they're saying, well, Lord, what's the deal? Because we're showing up. And those animals, they're being slain and they're being burned on the altar, so what's the deal? And God says, well, this is the deal. The animals you're offering me are unfit for my worship. They're inadequate. They're, they're lame. They're blind. They're sick. They're stolen. In fact, he says, you wouldn't even think about offering the governor, just the human puppet, God's representative on earth, you wouldn't even think of offering him what you're putting on my altar. You'd be embarrassed. You'd be ashamed. 
but you're taking your leftovers and your scraps, the stuff you wouldn't use yourself, and you're bringing that to me as if that's adequate for me. I'm the God of the universe. I will be worshipped, he says, among the nations. And my own people are bringing me second-rate offerings, and I won't have it. And I don't want it. That's the deal. And if we import that text, you know in the New Testament, we're all priests. We're all worshipers. We're all offering to God our life as worship. If we bring that Malachi context into our service, what kind of service, and therefore worship, are we bringing to God? Are we bringing second-rate leftovers in our service to each other, which is, in fact, worship to God? Do we look more like Acts 6? Or do we look like Malachi 1? Just as was true in their day, God doesn't want and the church doesn't need, frankly, half-hearted efforts and leftovers. That's not the kind of service we want to offer each other. That's not the kind of worship we want to offer God. God doesn't want and the church doesn't need last-minute preparations and late arrivals. God doesn't want and certainly it doesn't benefit the church to have what I call the good enough mentality. You know, in some things in life, uh, we've got to get a job done. There's not much time or energy to do it. So we sort of give it the, the quick once over, whatever, and we say, it's good enough. And, and by that, mean, we mean, that's all I'm going to be able to do with whatever's going on there. But you know, in our service and our worship, good enough isn't good enough. That God says, I want your first and I want your best. And if we aren't bringing that kind of service to each other in the body of Christ, we're offering God second-rate worship. And we don't want to do either. We want to be like Acts 6. We want to offer God through serving each other our very best. We want to serve each other with excellence. Let me give you some examples of some of the way this, this works out. I was meeting with a, with a young fella, a great guy, stellar guy, and, but he had trouble showing up on time. And we talked about it. And he came back one day early to our meeting and he talked with another friend who'd had the same challenge. And he said, Mike, on time is late. And I said, man, that's profound. You know what his thinking was? By the way, those two gentlemen are in this room right now. Uh, what he meant by that was, if I just show up on time, I'm actually not ready for whatever's going on. On time is late. I love that. I've used that repeatedly ever since. If we serve each other here, for instance, on a Sunday morning, if you, for instance, are in a nursery and parents are dropping off kids at 9.30, if you show up with the parents, you don't know if the room's ready, you don't know if the, the stuff's there, if the Sunday school material's out, if the toys are there, or whatever. So on time is late. We want to show up early just so we're prepared. Or especially if you're taking the baton, someone else's children, Sunday schools, nurseries. Isn't it nice if you have a peaceful spirit? You're not in a hurry. You've showed up. You've probably prayed so that you're ready. And so you can invite those children and you can, you can assure those parents it's a calm atmosphere we're welcoming your children into. But to show up early, timeliness is a huge issue in serving with excellence. Uh, so is showing up, by the way, just showing up at all. Uh, you know, years ago when my life was simpler, decades ago when my life was simpler, I could just do things on the fly because I had a good memory. And yeah, Tuesday this, Wednesday that, you know, whatever. You know, as soon as I started plugging in a local church, I bought a calendar because I just realized there's too many things going on I can't remember. So I've lived very intentionally off a calendar ever since. And 
most of us have got smartphones, computers, and wall calendars. And maybe we use some or we use all of those. But, you know, one of the things that's important if you're scheduled to serve, that you know it so that you can just show up. You know, it's not infrequently someone will say, man, I didn't even know I was supposed to serve today. You know, and it's not on the calendar. We're not reminding ourselves. On Sunday morning services, if you're scheduled to serve, you'll get an email earlier that week. But you'll only get an email, by the way, if we have your correct email. This came up again just recently. You know those things that we drone on week after week? You know, if you're not getting forum emails, you need to give us your email. This is what this comes down to. Talked to a brother a couple weeks ago and he says, you know, I haven't been getting any announcements. And we checked, well, we don't have an email. That simple. But mark your calendars and know when you're scheduled to serve. We can't serve with excellence if we're not serving at all because we don't know we're supposed to show up. Another thing is to simply know what we're doing. You know, to be prepared for the thing that I'm doing. Setting up here on Sunday mornings may sound... uh, really simple and at one level it is but you know there are a bunch of bases to cover matter of fact patty Ann has just worked with russ so there's a checkoff sheet there are so many things to do to get this facility ready for our use on sunday morning there's a ton of things well if i show up and i don't have any idea what that looks like i can't serve very well i'm going to be behind the curve so knowing what it is that we need to do when we show up what does service look like what do i need to know to serve well Let me tell you some of the ways in which leadership has already been trying to raise the bar uh, that we're trying to practice what we preach here. Aaron, that's what I'm thinking. That we're, we're already in process on a number of things. The meeting tonight is important because we are instituting something called Ministry Safe. We've tried to be very intentional as a church group about the care we give children in our midst. And we try and do things that make sure that parents know their children are well cared for but also that there's accountability for those who are serving so that there's protection in both directions for those being served and for those giving the service. Ministry Safe takes that and it raises it to just a higher standard, a really good standard for us as a church. And when you come tonight, if you've not seen this literature, we're only going to watch two short video snippets. The first one will get you about how important it is to raise the standard and provide the absolute best care we can proactively in serving our children. The first nine-minute video will sell you on the need. So we're already in process on this. We've tried to be intentional with this all along. We're raising the standard on our care for children in our midst. That's from basically 17 on down. We've been having most of this year, this is going right into next year too, service videos or reminders once a month on the second Sunday of each month. We've been trying to have reminders to tell us, each other, following up on Kent's teaching, his teaching on reach out. How can we as Christians, as Christ's followers and his representatives, how can we be intentional about serving outside the body of Christ, outside of lion and lamb borders here on Sunday morning or during the week? How can we have an impact for Christ in the community? And that's why we do these monthly. They're those reminders. This is where we can be Jesus to the community we live in. I think we're doing uh, safe families next month but we're being intentional about this because we want to say as a church we think it's important that we plug into the community god's sown us in this is the field he wants us to work in some of that's in the church but some of that's outside the church we want to be salt and light in our community this is one of the ways we're pursuing this 
Another thing we're doing is duplicating those who serve in a number of areas. Uh, if one key person is gone on a Sunday, are we able to pull something off that needs to be done? We're, we're going to be duplicating people who have a skill set so that no matter who's gone, we're still able to do what needs to be done on a given Sunday or week. Uh, Kent will be starting a leader for the elders, uh, I think in the next month or two, just about what is God's call for us in shepherding the flock? What does that look like? We need to raise the standard on our care and shepherding in the church. We're also in the, the midst of making adjustments to things like uh, microphones and speakers, and we're looking at software options. So in a number of ways, we've already started saying there's ways we can improve our serve within the church and without the church, and we're already a part of that now. Let me tell you some things related to your insert too that we need additional servants in. Nurseries and kids' Sunday schools. Uh, nursery and kids' Sunday schools. There was a forum post about this just in the last day or two. I had a meeting a few weeks ago with the gals who oversee the nurseries, and I remember the phrase being said, if you bring up serving in the nurseries or Sunday schools, sometimes the initial thought is, it's just little kids. It's just little kids. Now, we might not say it. It might not come out that way, but we might think it. They're not important enough, you know, and it's like, wow, well, let's think through that. How biblical and how Christ-like is that thought? It's just little kids. You know, so Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is made up of little kids. He says those little kids, they have angels in heaven. Right now, they're looking at the face of God. He says become like a little child to enter his kingdom. So, there are no mere little kids that we're serving here. There's, there's no just, they're just kids. That simply doesn't exist. We want to be really intentional about providing those little ones in our midst our best. And so that means we have rotations that each week there's a group that will serve in two different nurseries, kids' Sunday schools up through sixth grade. We need volunteers for that. I was talking to someone in the last couple of weeks about this also. I think it was John, and John said, do you remember back in the day, uh, at least half the teachers were men in the children's primary Sunday school class? And I thought, you know, that's right. And I'm not sure there's any men that are the regular teachers in the children's primary Sunday school class. Now, my wife was sick a week ago, and I got to teach her Sunday school class. You guys are boring compared <laughs> to that Sunday school class. Really boring. It was great. You know, and I thought, I know why Kathy likes this, and I would do this every Sunday if I could. It's a ball. You get to interact with little people, and, and you get to shape their world, give them something to think about. You know, it, it's a blast. Serving the kids is a blast. And there's a constant need for this, and that's a current need as well. Uh, parents of little ones, let me say this too. We as a church, we believe in being invested in the areas that we have some interest. If you're a parent of a little child that's in the nursery or in the Sunday school, we want you to be invested in your child's area of service. Okay? So if you're using the nursery or Sunday school class, we want you part of that rotation. Now let me give you the other side of that. We also hope that you're not, you don't feel you have to do that every week. I know some of the moms, some of the young moms here, they'll go from a Sunday school to a nursery to a nursery to a Sunday school and they don't know what it's like to sit down with an adult in a Sunday school venue. And that is not what we're after. It's not, really. 
Uh, so we think that as a church family, we can harness enough willing volunteers that those moms especially can come in on those other Sundays and they can sit with adults and have a chat if they choose to. Some of you bring your kids with you in every venue. They're with you in Sunday school. They're with you in service. That's great. But if you'd like a chance to just sit down, know that your kids are well cared for and you're actually able to go and, and enjoy the adult Sunday school, maybe think through some things and have some fellowship. We want you to be able to do that. So invest it on one hand, but we, we're really not looking for folks to be signed up every Sunday. In fact, as a church, you know, I don't teach at least once a month. Do you know we've got three worship teams? We've got three tech teams. We rotate uh, open and set up teams. That's all very, very intentional. We want everyone here to be able to come to church on a Sunday and just hang out. I have no responsibilities this morning. I'm just coming, and I'm going to show up, and I'm going to listen, and I'm going to worship, but, but I'm not coming with a set of responsibilities on some Sunday every month. That's very intentional in taking the team approach on this. We need openers and closers. We need people on tech teams. These are guys that come in while you're still at home having coffee, and they stay later while you're maybe headed to McDonald's getting a sandwich on both of these teams. And they're setting up the chairs, and they're cleaning the halls, and they're unlocking doors, they're taking out trash. They're setting up all the, the, te- the tech stuff behind me. I think these teams usually get here about 7 on Sunday morning, and they'll stay until everything's put away. It's a huge responsibility. And guys, it's glamorous. But it's significant. The chair you're sitting on there this morning is because guys were here early putting those out. And the fact that the sound equipment is here is because guys were here early putting that all together. So, not sexy, we get that, but you know, it's meaningful. It allows the rest of us to come in and enjoy our time together, but it's at someone's expense. They are serving us and worshiping God, giving us their best on Sunday morning on the setup. We need more of those. We need greeters, and these are folks who are just willing to station themselves by the main entry there, and especially look for visitors or folks who may not look like they know where they're going, and just introduce yourself and ask them if you can help them. Get them a cup of coffee and a donut if they're into uh, fat food like I am. Mm-hmm. Or anything else that they may need. When we had a meeting about this, Russ Barnell said, we're all welcomers. And I like that. And we've, we've tried a time or two where we've said, after service is over, go talk to someone you don't know. That's really important. Just that we are extending hospitality to people who are new here. That's just a very, very basic Christ-like characteristics that we should be practicing as a church. So, when you're done today, if you would, take this home. You may not need to take it home. You may be able to fill this out. If, if nothing else, there's a box on the back that says, I'm already serving. My current contact information is below. The least we want to do is we want to verify your contact information. We want to know that you're getting the emails that we're sending you. So if you serve in any way, would you at least... And there's extras of these on the information table. Look that over. Get your correct, especially email, because that's typically how we're communicating. But prayerfully look at these other options for service and prayerfully consider that and plug in if you're not. Let me switch gears quite a bit and just tell you a short story that I think makes the point. You know, information's helpful, uh, but it's not necessarily compelling. And you know, if you don't affect a person's emotions and will, 
there's no change of behavior. We have to buy into something. And there's a story by Leo Tolstoy that for me is helpful along this line about serving with excellence and understanding that my service to you or to anyone else is in fact service and worship offered to God Himself. Tolstoy, you remember, was a famous Russian writer better known for his long works like War and Peace and Anna Karenina. But he also authored several short stories. And one of his best, I think, perhaps best known, is called Where Love Is, God Is. How many, by the way, have you heard this story before? Have any of you seen a claymation called Martin the Cobbler? Okay, this is, Martin the Cobbler is, this story by Tolstoy. And it goes something like this. Martin the cobbler is a cobbler back in the day when, you know, guys sat down at benches and worked leather and shoes and anything else leather. And Martin was an old and he was frankly a bitter man. And he was bitter because towards the end of his life he looked back and he'd seen the death of all his children. He'd seen his wife die. He had one son who'd survived his wife and had grown up old enough to be helpful to him and his heart was bound to this son and and his son died. And he got to the point where he felt like, Lord, why do you leave me here? I would rather die. There's nothing left for me to live for. I'd just like to die. Despair, without hope. Well, one day a client comes in his door, and you know, back in those days, his shop was his home. It was a basement level affair, and his only window was just out on the sidewalk. A fella comes in, and he calls him a pilgrim, or a holy man, a guy given to to prayer and to Scripture and to the Lord and evangelism, we assume. And the fellow comes in and he's having a conversation with him and Martin just ends up pouring his heart out to the guy. And he just says, I have no hope. I just wish I would die. I wish God would just take me home. And the holy man, the pilgrim says, Martin, this is your problem. You're selfish. You're living for yourself. And that's why you're, you have despair. You have no hope. He said, listen, why don't you do this? Why don't you just open up the Gospels and read about Christ there? And so he does. And he begins reading about Jesus in the Gospel accounts. He gets to the account where the Pharisee has invited Jesus to a meal. You remember in the account, the Pharisee does not give him a kiss of greeting. And this was kind of insulting in that time and that place. Nor does he offer to wash his feet. Well, Martin's scandalized because he, he realizes the Lord came to this guy's house and Look how badly he treats him. If the Lord came to my house, I would treat him right. Right? I'd serve him with my best. And he sort of gets drowsy, lays his head down on his Bible, and he hears God call out to him. And, you know, because he's kind of drowsy, he's not sure. But God says, Martin, Martin, you watch. Tomorrow I'll visit you. You'll be the home I visit tomorrow. So you can imagine, he goes to sleep, I think I heard from the Lord. Gets up, starts his work the next morning, and starts looking out his window. Because I think Jesus is going to come to my house today. So he looks out the window, nothing going, goes back to his, his shop bench there and is working away. But you can imagine, he's excited. When's he going to come? What will he look like? He goes out and he looks out his window and he sees a neighbor, Stepanich. He's an old, frail man. He has no money, he has no family. He's been taken in by some neighbors just out of their mercy down the road. And Stepanich, this is Russia, it's winter and it's cold. Stepanich is on the sidewalk, bundled up as tight as he can, sweeping the snow off the sidewalk, shivering as he does. You know, Martin's there in his warm, warm shop. And he looks out, 
He invites Stepanich in. He says, hey, come on in. Let me serve you some hot tea. And he has him sit down and, and he confesses to Stepanich. He says, you know, when I saw your boots go across, I thought maybe you were the Lord. Because the Lord told me he's going to visit me today. And Stepanich laughs, you know, <laughs> me, the Lord. He's an old frail man, but he, he serves them some hot tea with sugar two times over. And they talk about this. And Stepanich leaves and he says, Martin, you've warmed my body and my soul. And Martin goes back to his work and his bench and keeps working and looks out the window occasionally. Later in the day, he sees a young woman coming down the, the sidewalk and she's carrying a little bundle, a little baby. And both of them are underdressed. They've got summer clothing on and she's trying her best to wrap this little baby up and she's not doing very well. And Martin runs out and says, come on in here. He says, I know babies, let, let me take care of your child here. Let me serve you some warm soup. Let me take care of you here for a minute. You just take a break. And so they come in and he bundles the baby up in something more appropriate and he gets her fed. She's warm. He gives her a shawl. She was penniless and out the door she goes warm and fed because of Martin's kindness. The day goes on a little bit more and towards the end of the day, it's almost sundown. He sees an old woman heading back home. She's carrying a basket that had the leftovers of the apples she'd been selling all day. And she's got a heavy bag that has wood chips that she's going to burn in her oven, her stove there at home to keep warm. And as she's going along the street, this little guy runs up and tries to steal one of her apples. But this old woman is much quicker than this little fellow thought. And she grabs him. And then she grabs him by the hair on his head. And she is shaking him violently. And she is yelling at him. And Martin's witnessing this from his window. So he runs out, Granny, Granny, you know, take it easy. You know, take it easy on this little fella. And she's basically laying down the law. And she's saying, this little sinner needs some reproof and I'm the one to give it to him. And Martin says, well, Granny, listen, I'll pay for the apple. And just think, if you and I had to give account for our sins, where would we be? Well, she changes her tune. And they have a conversation. And the little fellow gets the apple and he realizes he's headed the same way that she is. And he says, here, let me take your sack for you. I'll carry that home for you. And so he does. And so out of this strife and turmoil, you got this camaraderie as they head down the road. Their lives change there. Well, it's the end of the day, right? And Martin's back. He's at his table. His head, he's looking, going to read his Bible. And, and he hears a voice. And he turns around. Tolstoy writes it this way. Who is it? muttered Martin. It is I, said the voice. Out of the dark corner stepped Stefanich, who smiled and vanished like a cloud was seen no more. It is I, said the voice again. And out of the darkness stepped the woman with the baby in her arms. And the woman smiled and the baby laughed and they too vanished. It is I, said the voice once more. And the old woman and the boy with the apple stepped out and both smiled and then they too vanished. And Martin's soul grew glad. He crossed himself, put on his spectacles, and began reading the gospel just where it had opened. At the top of the page he read, I was hungry, and you gave me meat. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. And at the bottom of the page he read, Inasmuch as you did it to one of these, my brethren, even the least, you did it unto me. From Matthew 25. Isn't that a great story? I love that because it makes real the, the information, the things we're talking about. It puts flesh and blood, skin on an example of what does it look like to worship Christ and to serve Christ. It means that we serve the flesh and blood people 
around us. When Jesus walks into this church on a Sunday morning in the guise of a visitor or someone you and I don't know well, what kind of reception do they get? Do we see that that person in that sense is Christ? Do we treat them as if Christ has joined us? How are we treating the least among us? The eldest? The youngest? The most vulnerable? Those who just have needs, financial or otherwise? How are we treating the least among us? Are we joining Jesus in serving with excellence? And guys, most of the time, it's easy to overlook. We say it's just taking a meal. It's just setting up chairs. It's just cleaning up after potluck. It's just serving in the nursery. And at one level, it is just in that it doesn't require that much of us really. But it's serving Christ. That is worship. And we want to bring our best into the service we offer each other knowing that ultimately is work, worship towards God Himself. You know, oftentimes when you give a message that's meant to be convicting and compelling, the wrong people are listening. That is, the ones who don't need that message. There's a ton of people in this church that have served long and well and hard. A lot. And, and because I benefit from that, I would just say, you know who you are, just say personally for myself, thank you for what you do and the way you serve week after week after week after week. No small thing. And the church really ends up running because of people like you who are just faithful, faithfully plugging along. We appreciate you. Better than that, though, you know, God will give you a full reward. You know, the things on this earth, whether it's our suffering or our service, we can't gauge the reward Jesus is going to give us for the service we offer Him here. The Scripture says there's no, no way to compare the two. The one will be so glorious, it'll be like, you, you gave me that reward for this little thing? Yeah, it'll be that mind-blowing. God will give you a full reward. If you look at your service and say, you know, I'm serving and we're glad of that, but I feel like I can up my game. I feel like I can raise my standard. Just ask yourself between you and the Lord, what would that look like? What does is, what is serving with excellence look like? What would it mean for you to raise the standard in the ways you're already serving? If you're not currently serving, I would challenge, exhort, encourage you to find a place to serve. It won't be the same for everyone, and that's okay. But where might God want you to worship through serving with excellence within the body of Christ? Let me close with just a few verses you know, again, uh, I just love <laughs> I love the reality that Christians are called to. You know, if we are go to church on Sunday Christian, it is pitiable, really. If our relationship with Christ doesn't absolutely turn our life inside out and transform us, we're not following Christ. Because He'll change your life. There's just no way around it. The Spirit of God will change your life. We serve a servant king. When He came the first time in the Incarnation, this is December, it's Christmas month, we're thinking about Christmas and the Christmas story narratives. Remember, Jesus said, I've come not to be served, but to serve others and to give My life a ransom for all. Jesus says, I'm here as a servant. That's our leader. If He's leading in service, we should be following in service. 2 Corinthians 5.21, a well-known evangelical verse, but when Jesus goes to the cross and then the resurrection, that's for us. He's serving us as well as obeying His Father. 
know, that the righteousness that we're able to enjoy is because Jesus put us first, because He served us. And last is this from John 13. You know, last words are an important thing. Jesus is spending time with His boys there on, on the night of the Last Supper. And you can imagine, He knows what's ahead. You know, the suffering, the rejection, the scourging, the crucifixion, the agony, the separation from the Father, the death. He knows what's coming. And so what He says to His disciples, His apostles that night, it would be important. And I love John 13. If you remember the, their conversation through the Gospels back and forth, it's this. Who's the most important? You know, James and John, we want the right hand and the left. Either side for me is good. You know, I'll take that, Lord. You can honor me just on, on either side. There's this conversation. It's ongoing. They should know better, but they don't get it. It's all about who's more important. So on this last night, Jesus takes a towel and He gets down with a basin. On His knees, He goes around the whole circle and He washes all their feet. Because that's what the lowest servant in any household did. And then He says, you call me teacher and Lord, and you're right, I am. And if I, the teacher and the Lord, have served you, then I'm calling you to serve each other. You're not greater than me, he says. If I, the greatest in your midst, have served you, you certainly can and should serve each other. And he closes that passage in John 13, 17 by saying, if you know these things, you're blessed if you do them. You know, there's blessing just because you serve. You, you will go away from serving. This is where, I think it's in Acts, where Paul quotes a text we don't otherwise have that says it's more blessed to give than receive. When you serve, you are blessed. The word there means happy, fulfilled, joyful. When we give ourselves to serve others, it blesses us. You can't get away from that. That, by the way, is why Jesus will be the most blessed person in eternity. Nobody gets more glory and more blessing than Him because He's the greatest servant. So we want to raise the standard. We want to serve with excellence. And if you're, if you're doing exactly what God wants you to do in those arenas, please don't take any burden home. Really, for sure. But if you feel like there's ways in which I know I can serve better, I can worship God and I can serve others better with more excellence, we, we want you to do that. If you're not serving at all, we really want you to plug in and right back to where we started, be intentional in plugging in relationally with others. Be intentionally in serving others. You will not, you cannot grow as a Christian. You cannot honor Christ apart from those two commitments. Cannot happen. Father, we just acknowledge that You're God and we're not. Lord Jesus, You're the Savior of the church. You're our Savior. God, would You help us to honor You by giving us Your mentality that it is more blessed to give than to receive. That that serving is the way, it's a key way, Lord, in which we worship You. Would You help us to bring excellence to our worship by serving each other with excellence. In Jesus' name and for His sake and glory. Amen.